Hey guys, we will uh, get going in a minute. All right, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I have a podcast called Blocker Imported. Check out my newsletter, jessesingle.substack.com. Tomorrow I've got an article going up on um, Common Sense, Barry Weiss's website, that (laughs) notorious fascist, Barry Weiss. He wrote something for her that uh, I think some of you guys will enjoy. It's about the BYU controversy over the um, apparently non-existent uh, racist incident at a women's volleyball match. If any of you guys have questions or comments about everything, get in the queue. I've been occupied with the last, I don't know how long, maybe five days looking into this hashtag drop Kiwi Farm story. I, I find it's really fascinating. It's just this like, I mean, nobody involved is a good person. It's fundamentally about internet drama, but it's an internet drama story that sort of reflects all these important questions about what the internet is going to look like and what the limits of free speech are. Uh, Free speech. (laughs) Free speech. Um, At root, it is a fight between Keffels, who is a Twitch streamer, someone who either plays video games online live or just like talks about stuff. Uh, She's a political Twitch streamer, trans woman, um, who has decided to try to take down a website called Kiwi Farms. Kiwi Farms is a very toxic website where there's boards sort of devoted to making fun of uh, eccentric internet personalities. And it gets very toxic. Some of the people they make fun of um, are deeply troubled, are mentally ill, and they have a long page on Keffels, and she wants to take them down. And there's been just some of the worst reporting I've seen um, on Kiwi Farms because it's a very toxic place, but it's not like a... It's being called a fascist website, a neo-Nazi website, um people are just sort of misrepresenting what it is. And and there's a lot of folks writing about this story who don't have a handle on how weirdos on the internet talk. Uh, and I think if you're going to write about these stories, you should understand how weirdos on the internet talk. You should be able to go into these communities as toxic as they are and understand what you're reading and what you're seeing. And we're seeing a lot of journalists, um, I'm no expert by any means, but I've I've traversed some of these very weird, toxic places. I, I think I can at least follow most of what's going on, but you're seeing reporting that sort of treats this website as equivalent to, like, Stormfront or maybe some sort of ISIS or Al-Qaeda website, and that's just not the case. And the upshot of all of this was that a company called Cloudflare, which provides um, basically protection against hacking attacks, was pressured into removing their protection um, from Cloudflare. Now, from Kiwi Farms. Now, Cloudflare protects something like, I think, 30% of the world's websites. It's always been this sort of neutral provider of security services. And when you get to the territory of a company like Cloudflare picking and choosing who they defend, it it, it just gets really dicey because you're now in the territory of like, a, a distant company deciding who does and doesn't get to have a website at all. Like we're way past, oh, if you don't like that content, go to your own website. Or or if you don't like being banned from Twitter, go to your own website. So watching um, journalists who you would think would have a huge stake in this question of who's allowed to speak freely, um, 
who gets kicked off the internet, and you would think they would maybe side on the side of a little bit of like slow down the train or skepticism. They're not. I mean, they're just lining up behind these efforts to get the website kicked off the internet via illegal activity. And to support that position, they're often exaggerating what, what Kiwi Farms is. I've got more to say about it, but the queue's filling up a little. So let's start with Naya. Naya, the uh, interface. There you go. Hey. I, I got it. Can you hear me? I can. So this is Naya. I'm with uh, Drop Kiwi Farms. I've been pre vocal on the site, on the Twitter and other places. I'm glad you're here. I've had trouble getting people in these rooms who, uh, you know, disagree with me about stuff. I'd prefer to not only talk to people who agree. So, uh, uh, what's on your mind? So my issue is actually the hindering of investigations that's done by Kiwi Farms. And a good example of that is the 2018 Zeus sadism leaks. Um, There was a very prominent person who was known by Kiro the Wolf um, who was involved in those Zeus sadism leaks. And as a result of things being leaked publicly on the internet on a shame site such as Kiwi Farms, law enforcement wasn't actually able to charge him. Um, And what ended up happening is he deleted everything, encrypted a lot of his drives, and the evidence that was collected was past the statute of limitations. Um, So just so I get this clear, you're you're saying that because they posted this stuff online publicly, that made it so the authorities couldn't like build a case. Yes, because they tipped him off and it allowed him to delete evidence. That sounds bad to me. Um, and they also, and, and this is speaking just from a more personal level, they also don't get their research right all the time. Um, they'll they'll post stuff, and, and, and I've seen it happen a lot. You have like an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend of someone. They know Kiwi Farms exists. They might even publicly be one of the people campaigning against it. But privately, they're going on to threads, posting about their ex, and essentially trying to turn the site into their personal army. And and I've seen this be successful. I've seen it where somebody did this and the other users kind of caught on and did start mass harassment. And I've also seen it be unsuccessful where they realized, oh, hey, you know, this is an ex-partner. You know, this isn't something funny for the site. And they kind of turned against the poster. Uh, so yeah, you think so sometimes they fall for those sort of efforts, but sometimes they are wise enough to repel them? That is correct. I've seen both happen. I've seen them be wise enough to realize, oh, this is, you know, complete BS. But in some cases where they absolutely should have known, where the writing was on the wall, so to speak, I've seen them go with it, especially if they have a vendetta against the person for other reasons. EX, if they hate person Y because of reason Z and somebody is giving them, you know, reason A, they're going to pick up on reason A because they already dislike the, the person. I, I thought there was a version of that with Keffels where um, they called her a groomer, but none of the screenshots really showed that at all. And it just is, is repeated as a fact at the top of her page. Yeah. Um, and, and my Keffels is a very complicated thing. Um, I'm I'm part of the campaign. I'm just a little bit of my history. Back in 2021, I got Zenforo to revoke their license. I'm a Zeusadism investigator, and I and I also work in InfoSec. Um, so I've been involved in this since 2021. I just saw Keffel's name kind of get involved this year, um, and and I'm not a fan of them. 
just personally, you know, they've done some some questionable things. I've seen the screenshots. I, I think it's a, a little overboard to directly call them a groomer, uh, but they've done some questionable things. And, you know, people have a, a reason to not like them. But yeah, because they have a reason not to like this person, when they're given something like, oh, this person is also a groomer, this person is also, you know, worse thing, they're more wanting to jump on that band. I had it. There's an interesting example of that when I was um, trying to find this kid who allegedly stalked uh, Keffels in Belfast, where the Kiwi Farms thread said, "We've locked it down. This kid is at uh, this Discord username." And the, the the most prominent thing about this kid's online presence is that he's a Northern Irish loyalist. He loves the Queen. Within five minutes of looking into this Discord user, they thought it was. I saw them making fun of the Queen for having died. So it was just like obviously wrong information that was presented confidently on the site. So they definitely get some stuff wrong. Yeah, and then some of the other things I've noticed, and that, again, this is from from my own involvement and such with uh, Kiwi Farms, is they tend to have target groups. Uh, you know, if it, and, and this is just my personal opinion, if you're both transgender and a predator, you're still a predator, you're just as bad as a cis predator. You know, nobody should get special treatment if they're doing bad things. But on that same token, Kiwi Farms is a lot more likely to post something negative about somebody if they're trans or neurodivergent. You know, if this was just a site that blanket targets predators and if they were actually accurate in this targeting, I don't think people would have such an issue with that. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. Because, I mean, they obviously, they have some really fierce beefs with um, right-wingers like Ethan Ralph, but I, they seem to have a disproportionate number of them with, um, with, with trans people. What um, I should get to the other callers, but can people find your work online anywhere? Do you have a Twitter handle or anything? I am Naya Gozawu, N-A-I-A-G-O-E-S-A-W-O-O. I can also be found at Naya.me. And there is one other thing briefly I did want to speak about. Sure. Um, users of Kiwi Farms actually created malware um, to distribute to activists. Um, I've actually disassembled this piece of malware. It's on my Howler profile at HOWLR.me forward slash Naya. So there's bad actors on the side of Kiwi Farms. You know, they're, they're talking about, oh, some of the activists are doing DDoS. Well, some of your users are sending people malware. So it, it's, there's bad actors on both sides. That's, yeah, <laughs> there's one thing that's definitely true about this story is like, there's no one with a, uh clean hands but uh thank you for the call naya everyone else should check out naya's stuff she uh seems to know what she's talking about hey what's up hello i've been uh i've been following the response to your uh two-part series on this and it's been making a bit of a splash um but i've been kind of white knighting for you a lot of people have been saying stuff like well you know it's reasonable but he's always talking about things on one side he's always talking about like right-wing type stuff so it's like even though I kind of agree with what he says, I think maybe he has an agenda or maybe it's like one-sided or something like that. How do you conceptualize like your work from the perspective of, am I being like too hard one side? Should I be more even-handed or do you not I think it's, uh, you think it's fair or what do you think about that? I think like the most, um, um, I'm just muting your mic for a sec. Um, I often write about stuff that I just don't think is getting sufficient coverage elsewhere. So, like, the piece I'm doing for Barry Weiss's 
website tomorrow is about this BYU volleyball thing where the entire mainstream media screwed it up. And I wrote about Covington a little bit. And I wrote about, you know, the Jacob Blake and Kyle Rittenhouse things. These are not the most, um, these aren't like the biggest stories in the world, but like if I'm looking for something to dive into in the short or medium term, I like doing media criticism and I like writing stories that folks can't find elsewhere. And that works for me. That doesn't, they're, that, you know, I might end up with a total output that doesn't perfectly match onto my own political beliefs, which I still think by any reasonable metric are pretty far to the left by American standards. But yeah, the short answer is I don't care. I think I appreciate the white knighting, but just tell them what I ask people to do is tell me what they disagree with, what they think I got wrong, not um, whether I'm on the right side of this. And I think if you look at this story closely, um, it's just it's just been very weird the the laser like focus on Kiwi Farms when, for example, we know another major doxing site is why her stuff got leaked. We know like the Uber Eats stuff was sent to her by someone who immediately posted it to this other doxing site. So there's just a lot going on here. I basically agree with you. I mean, the way that I look at it is like the things you cover are things like social media blow ups, uh, social science, and uh, what was the other one? Just like science generally. And like I think the problems with these are not coming from the same side. It's, it's disproportionately. So if you're covering it fairly, I think you're going to come up with more issues on one side than the other. And yes, it, that's probably true. Yeah, and like look, Currently. the the fact of the matter is, frankly, that what I write is a mix of like what I'm interested in, what will will work as a business because I'm an independent journalist. So if I wrote about poverty policy 100 percent of the time, I it, there is not as much demand for that. It's 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 part of this is just market forces. So yeah. How do you think about it from the perspective of like you have an image, right? So even though I, you might be writing about things you agree with, if people start thinking, oh, he's this guy who does this thing over and over again, it might influence the way people perceive you. Yeah. So like, but it's even. No, I mean that's fair, and, and I, I don't want to get too out of whack, and I don't want to go crazy with like anti woke whatever. So I try to mix in other types of stories, but I also like I don't think coverage like what i've done of kiwi farm should be coded as right wing or conservative i think there's like very basic principles at stake here about like fairness and due process and look if we have a world where certain communities or types of people are not allowed to be on the internet basically that's not that's not going to help like vulnerable people in the long run i understand kiwi farms is an attractive target now but like Think of all the possible ramifications of, of that sort of like picking winners and losers. So I don't I don't see it as politically coded in a straightforward way, to be honest. I don't either, but that is the perception. So I, totally. I agree with you that uh, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. But I do think that there, you know, there's, your image is relevant to how people perceive. And if you want to change minds, especially, you know, having people see you in a favorable way is important to that, right? So one thing I'm thinking about recently is also like Substack. You know, it's mostly for people who already agree with you as opposed which might have people who have all sorts of different ideas and you're yeah you cut out Substack as opposed to what as opposed to like writing for new york magazine which has a bunch of different readers of all different stripes who aren't just coming there to see you they're coming there to see right, you but it, but it, but it's it's a brutal cycle because i wouldn't bother pitching an article about i think the youth gender dysphoria fight is really important and it's like maybe maybe becoming a medical scandal I'm not going to be able to write that piece for New York Magazine. There's other pieces I could write for them, but the reason I can't be platformed on that issue in that outlet is that outlet has decided it's not going to cover that issue. So I write about it on my newsletter and, frankly, probably make more money but risk more audience capture and more sort of 
epistemic bubbles. So like the incentives are sort of messed up right now. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think you're doing anything wrong, but I do Thank think it's, it's reasonable to think about if I want to make, even if it's an unreasonable ask, even if you agree, and I agree with you that cave farms is not a right wing issue, but even if it's not that they're totally wrong about it, it still can make sense from a practical perspective to try to convince more people to sort of give an even handed image. Yeah. I think you do that pretty well most of the time, but, but people will you know, just look at your Twitter and say, oh, well, he's talking about trans stuff all the time. Therefore, I know what kind of person he is. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. Uh, I'm going to take, I appreciate the call. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Neil. I mean, I, okay. I, it's also like if you, unfortunately, because I've spent a lot of time on Twitter, a lot of people have yelled at me, frankly, about shit I haven't done or said. So you sort of stop caring about like how you're perceived by random Twitter critics because they're unappeasable and they're not interested in, Responding to your actual arguments. Anyway, what's up, Neil? Um, so first question, are you going to do any interest in doing like a West Coast or Bay Area live show? A few people have asked about this. Uh, if it happens, it'll be in the spring. I should just like say this because we did get some queries. Uh, no. So this, so this uh, next month is the East Coast mini tour. Although it's becoming like a real tour, which is awesome. Uh, and I think in the spring we might try to do West Coast, but none of that's locked down yet. And it's not going to be until 2023. Cool, cool. Okay, and then my main question was, so I called, and this isn't about any of the Kiwi Farm stuff, so um, I called in about freedom of association before, and I framed it around a hypothetical racist prostitute because I think it's an illustrative example, and one of the callers after me characterized that as not coming up in real life, which isn't true because Nevada, but um, (laughs) I actually think that this issue is only to become more and more relevant because it's a principle that is betrayed by both sides, um, because of NatCon, um, Stephanie Slade had a thread a few days ago about this issue, and so I'll just uh, read the thread. But basically, an individual has a right to participate in society, says DeSantis, defending his ban on even private companies asking for proof of vaccination. Ne- needless to say, this is the same argument the bake the cake cakers make. And it's the same argument the left makes to justify forcing Catholic schools to hire openly gay employees. Either we believe in private property rights and free association, or we don't. Apparently we don't. And then she didn't say this, but I'll add on. It's the same logic undergirding the private business parts of the 1964 Civil Rights Act and other worker protections that abridge at-will employment. And so obviously, if you reject freedom of association, you can find differences between these cases. They're not exactly the same, of course. But when the logic from the opposite sides for why it's okay to violate freedom of association becomes the same, then I think it's really interesting because it shows how subjective things get when you don't have freedom of association as a deontological principle. So while I have a feeling I know where you stand, can I ask your thoughts on freedom of association as a principle? Um, You just laid out a pretty sophisticated argument, and I I need to think it through, which I know is an unsatisfying answer, but I don't want to speak off the cuff on this because it seems uh, important. If you want to shoot me like an email, um, I'd like to think this through more thoroughly or just like a link to her thread, Uh, but you you need something to think about. Okay. Yeah, and then the, um, the only other thing with that was that it was just a reminder to me that conservatives slash Republicans are not libertarians. And I don't know, it makes me sad because for a time when it was only about religion and gay cakes, they really were good on this issue. And now they're not. And that just makes me sad. Anyway. Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. That was the call. So, so I have you down on supporting enumerating freedom of association as a, the 28th Amendment. Gotcha. Yep, exactly. I'm all for uh, constitutional amendments here. Um. All right, Jacob, what is up? Hello, Jesse. So 
very excited about the New York live show, and that's conveniently scheduled for my return to New York after some travel. So there's a lot of folks that seem very confused about the booking process for that, and we all want to ensure that we're not out left left out in the cold. Oh, were you you? Uh, did you just email me? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way it works is you just reserve the table, and then you're good, and then. It's a weird. It's a different system. I haven't been there forever. Um, they, you pay for your ticket when you pay your bill on top of your food and drink. So you should be good to go if you've reserved a spot. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I did. Just, I just want to make sure that I don't show up and then get turned away because, like, the email did specifically mention tickets. So, and if you look at like the comments on the thread on the Substack, it also seems to be like a lot of other folks may have thought that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna clarify that. I emailed her just to make sure that was the case, but I should be able to clarify that. Oh, good. Okay. And then also the other thing I wanted to talk about is not related to Kiwi Farms, but actually just to the media space because you're seeing tons of like new little media companies pop up, and I just find the new media ecosystem to be fascinating. And like you're seeing some huge price tags on those too. <coughs> like Axios just sold for north of five hundred million dollars after being in existence for a few years and like it's obviously very different you know from the sort of quote-unquote mainstream media even though these outlets are becoming mainstream so sort of wondering what your take is on sort of these newish media upstarts yeah i mean i i I don't know i mean i'm very curious about like semaphore for example i i don't really know where it's gonna go It, it just seems like there's these recurrent waves of excitement that there's like some new model or some new way to fix the, um, you know, fundamental structural problems with journalism, but it never seems to happen. It seems to just be like, I don't know, little VC bubbles. So I, I, I'm not smart enough to predict what's going to happen. I just always want there to be more journalism and more money for journalism. So I hope that's uh, how it goes down. Yeah, and, like, what's sort of interesting about, like, Semaphore is they launched it with, like, these massive ambitions. Like, Dylan Byers over at Puck, formerly of NBC, likes to say that they're, they were trying to become the Mount Rushmore of news. And they basically got, like, a bunch of middle-tier brands and only a few, like, top-tier people, like Dave Weigel, is leaving the Washington Post for Semaphore after, of course, they suspended him for a month over a tweet. Felicia Summers, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Felicia Sanmez is not as of the as of yet going to Semaphore, but Dave Weigel, who lost a month's pay for a tweet, seemed to think that it was finally time to leave the post. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that was. Which is still an absolutely insane story. Yeah, like, it really is. I cannot imagine losing a month's pay for a tweet unless it was like a really horrific thing. And I forgot Weigel's tweet, but it was like in the whole schema of bad tweets was like not even up there. Yeah, that was a horrible, that was so crazy, but uh, yeah. And it's just like, frankly amazing that that could actually happen to a real person, but I feel like that's just like the other problem with the current, you know, media ecosystem that we could allow, that something like that could be allowed to happen. Yeah, it's uh, that was a crazy story. But uh, anyway, thank you for the call, and I'll, um, I'll let you know if, if I'm wrong about the ticket thing. Oh, okay, perfect, thanks, and have a good night. Naya, do you mind just being quick just so I can get to folks who haven't uh, talked yet? 
that's fine. I just had a brief unrelated question. Sure. I just wanted to mention or ask rather, you spoke very briefly on a potential, very briefly on a potential medical Hey, you cut out. You said I spoke very briefly on what? A potential medical scandal with youth transitioning. Yeah. Um, in what situations, because I, I do believe I'm, I'm a good example of a situation, do you believe it would be medically necessary? I, I think it's a harm reduction sort of issue where there are cases where, you know, there are some youth who absolutely should not. But I also think there is some where such access is critical. So I did kind of want to hear your your full opinion on that. Yeah. Well, so my theory just based in part on what like the more vanguard activist clinicians themselves say, some of whom I interviewed is that like they don't really do assessment, like the sort of old school process of like working with a kid over, you know, I'm not saying it should be three years, but some months to make sure that their gender dysphoria is like stable and not going away. And that, it maybe isn't explained by other factors, which I think at least in outlying cases it can be. So I think there's like a huge variation in the quality of care in the U.S. And I've talked to clinicians at these like big multidisciplinary centers um, where, you know, kids get really good care and you have a maybe a social worker and a psychologist and an endocrinologist and a pediatrician. But then I think there's also like slightly more fly-by-night youth gender clinics that operate, you know, fairly close to almost informed consent for kids. I mean, they often need parental consent. It varies by state, but I just, I, um, between hearing clinicians who I think just don't know what they're doing, talk frankly, and then also just the quality of some of the research and how it's portrayed in the media, I think I've gotten a little bit more skeptical about youth transition. But I also think there's kids who like will suffer unnecessarily if they don't have access to it. And that's, the main reason I'm against all the conservative efforts to ban it. I think there's sort of, um, I, I don't know what the right analogy here. It's not rocket launcher against a mosquito, but it's, it's something like that. Is that a, I don't know. How does that ring to you? I appreciate it. That's actually a really logical and centrist answer. And as somebody who has experienced dysphoria from youth and is in the process of transitioning, I, I can't say that I disagree. So thank you for the thorough answer. Yeah. Thank you. I'm uh, glad it makes sense to you. Uh, Jane, what's up? Mute. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, a very interesting last caller, but I actually wanted something else. To, I wanted to bring up something else. One thing I do think is kind of your wheelhouse, or very much your wheelhouse, is um, you know kicking the tires on science and kind of poking the holes through in, into things. Um, and so I'm a school teacher, and I just, we just started back, and um, the social-emotional learning has kind of become like it's a, it's a law. This this year has now become sort of law this school year, but it's been there for a little while in my state. I'm the Pacific Northwest state. And um, some of what concerns me about some of the some of the discussion around it is like it's – so, for example, um, there's um, – Oh, you muted. I was like, all of a sudden it went quiet. Um, there, there's a like an organization, or I guess a lens, and it's it's not just in my state. It's it's I I think it's just a lens in general, and the lens calls itself like trauma informed care, and it it's such a heavy word, you know, trauma, but yet it's doing all this work to to refer to everything from. A, a divorce a kid might be going through, or you know, a kid's family might be going through to 
I would imagine something like Uvalde and they brought, they, and I, when I first got into teaching, I'm a new teacher. I wanted to jump in both feet. And so I just joined every committee I could. And I draw, I joined in my school, the trauma informed care committee. And I went to probably about eight or nine workshops and I couldn't tell you what it was about. It was full of a lot of some of the, I could hear the social justice um, framework and a lot of it. Um, but one thing that did jump out at me, because then I was on some other focus group, I guess it was, uh, very incoherent. I really couldn't tell tell you what they were trying to impart. But um, it w- they bragged that this trauma-informed care is not an evidence-based practice. And it's so it's so concerning to me because some of this stuff is so broad that in it's, in it's starting to, I'm starting to wonder if as a teacher, I'm going to be evaluated on it, um, whether I'm really doing it. And there's this constant, constant um, mantra that just keeps getting pushed, which is you've got to build that relationship with those students. You've got to build the relationship, build that relationship, build it over and over. And it's almost like it's being placed above actual learning and content and so in the building I'm in, they, there's somebody who's hired as the director of all this stuff. And that person had said at a meeting earlier this week, and this may just be the person's personality, and this is kind of part of the problem with it, is it can't attract people with a certain type of a, of a, of a personality where they think everything ought to be social justice and they need to come into the schools and, you know, push, push this sort of certain agenda. Um, I guess some, this is what, oh, I guess a lot of teachers do, and I'm too new to be this cheeky, but they just sort of, you're supposed to do this canned program where you click through these slides and encourage the kids to talk about how they're feeling um, and uh, nothing super deep, but sharing and a lot of sharing what you're grateful for. And I've isolated three things I share over and over again. You know, I, my car, my parents are still alive and my cat. And I just share that over and over again. And then you solicit them to share, but it's just other things too, like, um, well, in the slides this week, well, the, what this trauma-informed person or this... Jane, I, I feel bad. I just, um, I want to make oh, sure... Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, totally yeah. fine. So is your question about... Well, I'm trying to get to the point. Um, the point I'm trying to get to is what kind of evidence is there that talking constantly about your feelings when you haven't solicited it, you haven't, you're not in group therapy, you're, you're in a school building. I, I don't know what where they're, where I would look to see... How do you combat this sort of stuff when they sort of boldfacedly say it's really not about it's not based in any kind of evidence? It just feels really, I don't know, um, uncomfortable. I don't yeah. know how else to put it. I um, yeah. I mean, I don't know about that stuff in particular. What I do know is like there's always new fads about kids and how to talk to them. I had a chapter on the self-esteem craze in my book. There's also an article you might want to check out by uh, the late great clinical psychologist Scott Lillianfield called, um, I think it's just called Psychological Treatments That Cause Harm. And he points out that a lot of these treatments in sort of hot button areas like, uh, you know, drug prevention, DARE for kids, or uh, so-called critical incident stress debriefings for people who've been exposed to trauma, either, despite becoming incredibly popular and sucking up hundreds of millions of dollars, they either have no evidence behind them or there's some evidence that they make the situation worse, that D.A.R.E. makes kids more likely to use drugs or critical incident stress debriefings exacerbate trauma symptoms. So I am just incredibly skeptical of any fads in education. I think the area of like trauma research is often very fuzzy. That was another 
one of my book chapters, Emily Yaffe has a sort of a classic article on like this bug science about the nature of trauma and memory. So I'm dancing around your actual question because I just don't know about this area. I just, I just think there's every reason to be skeptical and I wish more, you know, teachers, social workers, school administrators were a little bit more um, skeptical minded and, and understood how much bad science there is out there. Yeah. Okay. Scott Lillian Field, is that what you said? The first person you mentioned? Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jane. Jamile is going to have to be the final caller, unfortunately. Uh, the rest of you, if you come to the next room and chat me and remind me you were in line when this one ended, I will bump you to the front. Jamile, what's up? Hey, Jesse. Um, I'll keep it simple, man. I um, just uh, wanted to respond to your last couple of callers who uh, were teachers. Yeah, please do. Um, is there any evidence that kids should be happy? That <laughs> kids should be happy? Uh, I mean, we, we have an educational system where there's like no opportunity for uh, kids to kill themselves. And that just is not a uh, system where you can end up uh, finding the most intelligent uh, kids. It's just setting them up for failure later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, man. Um, all I had was a BYU joke, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the internet has left that too far behind, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. It was a crazy situation. Yeah, but everyone's forgotten what it is. Um, yeah. All right, man. Well, um, hey, I just finished uh, the last uh, show, and it was uh, really good. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was far too long and far too in the weeds, but I hope you were able to follow it. Well, that's the internet. At least you do it with style. Have a great day. <laughs> Thanks, man. That was quick. I'll take one more. Tactical. What's up? Hello? Hey. Hey. Um, I was just wondering if you have to consider uh, other nations' laws when reporting on, like, minors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the short answer is I, I, I just didn't think that, like, brief uh, above-board DMs with a 16-year-old, there was any legal risk, to be frank. Uh, maybe I should have been more, but it's just like I have the logs. I'm asking straightforward questions, so I'm just sort of not worried about it. Uh, I probably, I don't know, you should always be careful when, when reporting on minors. And we might talk about it the next episode. I had some ethical qualms because this was a 16-year-old. It was just a complicated situation because he was a 16-year-old who had sort of, if he did what he's claiming he did, had become like part of a big news story and affected public policy. But uh, I figured and I'm safe in saying that uh, there's no legal problems just with like having a repertorial chat with a 16 year old between the U S and the UK, but that yes, it is an area where you definitely want to be careful. Uh, does Substack provide any legal? <laughs> in that area or no? They do. They do. So, uh, when I get sued by a uh, Northern Irish 16-year-old and his family, uh, uh, Substack will be there for me. Okay. Um, I guess I'll just close with, you have a inordinate amount of meals in your kind of queue, uh, you know? You name Wait. Meals. Oh, Neils. You Like waiting to talk on the like show? Well, you just have multiple meals. Yeah. The number of meals... It's interesting because I don't think I know I know one Neil in real life. So yeah. someone will do a research study on why I attract so many Neils on the show. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, I'll, I'll try and figure it out. <laughs> Thank you. Right, uh, 
that is funny that I didn't even, I mean, I did, obviously it's weird to be like talking to a teenager on Discord, but I just, I frankly did not care or think about the, uh, the legal stuff because I don't think there's anything there. But uh, on that slightly creepy note, thank you guys for listening. As always, I appreciate it. I would just ask if you like the show, tell other people about it. Check out Common Sense tomorrow, Barry Weiss's podcast. If you haven't heard our two-part uh, block reported series on Keffels and Kiwi Farms and this whole shit show, it is very long and very in-depth, and you will be exposed to these really psychotic uh, aspects of adolescent online culture that I wish I hadn't been introduced to. So you have that to look forward to. Thank you, guys, and I hope you have a good uh, end of your week. Bye.